0: You're gonna make me count?
1: Okay, okay, I'm counting! Ten! Nine! Eight! Seven! Good evening and welcome to another fan-critical podcast. Uh, This evening we are going to be talking about the latest episode of The Walking Dead, Season 8, Episode 1, directed by Greg Nicotero. Tonight I'm joined by Len. Hello. John. Hi. And I'm Emma, your host. And uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about the latest episode, Mercy, of The Walking Dead, Here's a spoiler warning. We are going to be discussing the whole of seasons one to seven at some point, including uh, the new episode of season eight and anything from the comics up until the relevant issue uh, to this particular episode. I'm going to kick off with a a brief overview of uh, season seven just to bring us all back up to speed. we saw a, a lot of things happen. A lot of nothing happened too in season seven. We lost Glenn and Abraham. Uh, Daryl got taken prisoner. A lot of stuff happened across the hilltop with Maggie taking over from Gregory. Um, Carol and Morgan in the kingdom meeting King Ezekiel and Sheba. Um, and we ended up with uh, Walker, Sasha, uh we're staging a coup, shall we call it, uh, inside yeah. a coffin in her uh, post-living walker life. And uh, our final scene saw us meeting the three leaders of our main communities for season eight, the Hilltop, Alexandria and the Kingdom. Season eight then opened up uh, at that point. Guys, what were our initial thoughts?
0: So I'm very excited. I always get quite excited at the start of a season of The Walking Dead, mainly because I'm a I'm a massive fan of the comics, predominantly, and I do watch the show, I, I, you know, I've watched every single episode, probably multiple times, and I'm very excited going into this season. I think the season premiere was very good. I don't think it was amazing, and I don't think it was bad. But I did realise that this is the 100th episode of The Walking Dead. Now, Similar to other shows, when they have like a hundredth episode, it's like an event episode and there's always something to sort of remember. For me, although this episode was a really good episode of The Walking Dead, for it to be the hundredth episode and for there not to be something like so memorable that you're going to look back and remember it and go, wow, this is amazing. I mean, the hundredth issue of the comic was the season seven premiere, which was the uh, bashing in of, of, you know, R.I.P., Glenn's head in the comic, and and that was such a momentous occasion, and it completely shifted everything in the comic. But I just I was a bit disappointed that there wasn't like a major character death or something, something that just made this like an event. Like, oh, do you remember the hundredth episode of The Walking Dead? I mean, a hundred episodes is a great achievement by any show. It it you know it shows longevity, it shows success. I was just hoping there'd be something something else there. But mm. in saying that, I still really enjoyed the episode. I think compared to other episodes of The Walking Dead, it's still very good. I love the fact that this wasn't as depressing as the season seven premiere, which... It's debatable. Which I think there's a lot of sense of hope in this and, you know, all of the, the communities coming together and all the speeches, which maybe too many, but a lot of speeches. It felt to me like it was a good opener, but I just wanted a little bit more.
1: I think from uh, an interesting perspective, actually, to pick it up on some of the things you've said there, Len, um It was made a big deal of and it was really impactful outside of the episode itself that it was the 100th episode. So social media wise, TV interviews, everything along those lines, they made a huge deal of it. But you're right in saying that there are parts of the episode that maybe don't live up to what we might expect from an opener in terms of season eight. John, Mm. what about you? What are your initial thoughts on
2: Mercy? Mm. Okay, so I want to shit all over it because <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, I don't want to shit all over it. I, ge- I genuinely don't. There are certain parts of films or uh, or TV episodes where you kind of like you, you're going with it, and then you're like, what the hell is going on here? Um, and I just can't I can't get over Negan strolling out um, with like forty or fifty people with guns all trained on him. Uh, And he's got no, like, armour or anything like that. He's not hiding behind anything. He's kind of giving it the the big one. Someone's got to have shot him. I mean...
0: Well, Rick could have
2: shot him. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) At multiple points. And I guess... uh, Look, I mean, this isn't the... uh, Speaking to other people about the episode. Um, This is something that anyone that uh, had an absolute dislike for that scene... Uh, that is kind of that just overruns everything that happened in the episode, and I, I, I'm one of them. Uh, after that, I just couldn't take it too seriously. And again, you, you're talking about a show that's about zombies, for fuck's sakes! Like, there's always going to be a suspension of disbelief, but come on! Like, uh, does he have so much of an arrogance that they feel scared to shoot him, or like, what is going on? It's ridiculous.
1: I think it's um, it's a power play, isn't it? Um, from the writer's perspective. and um, Some of it is ridiculous. There were multiple points in this particular opener for the season where I felt like it could have just been over and done with. But that would have actually reduced the point of season eight. What do you yeah. do after that?
2: Obviously, the premise <laughs> no, is... No, 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 no. I, I absolutely... I'm not saying that... <clears throat> look, I mean, if they just shot him dead, I'd have been like, what the hell is this? Well, well, what's the be point of this character? To well, be fair, it would
1: have been a powerful opener.
2: Yeah, but it's... I mean, he's an interesting character, isn't he? Like, he... Like, if they just got rid of negan in the first episode like, what the <laughs> hell is this i'm not watching this anymore ridiculous but don't put his character in that position because it just seems preposterous like i think um i think negan is like
0: you said he's too interesting a character he's got plot armor you know there was no this episode was all as much as i i, I actually really like this episode as i said earlier i've got a couple of problems with it uh, but i think this episode was all about like you heard Rick and everyone saying, oh, you know, it's after today, the war is going to be over. Come on. Everyone knows that after today, the war isn't going to be over. We yeah. know that already. Like anyone going into this season from all the promo yeah. content and everything knows that this is all out war. This is going to be at least eight episodes, at least. And the way The Walking Dead is with things, they like to stretch out the comic sections. You know, they'll stretch out eight issues to, you know, 30 episodes if they need to. So we know this is going to be a long stretch.
2: Which is fine, but I guess what I'm saying is <clears throat> I think it was one of the showrunners that actually came out afterwards. Uh, I forget who it was. It was either showrunner or... Scott Gimple. Uh, yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah. Scott Gimple, Gimli. <laughs> uh, so he, he came out and had to justify that scene. Uh, and when justifying... Because that's how much of a big deal that scene was, that you know, you've, the vast majority of your audience, and I'm not saying uh, that that's an intelligent part of the audience, but look, I was a part of it. Um, they're going what the hell is this why why are they not just shooting him and he's trying to explain that no but actually what it was in that scene is that there's so much of a a gap between them and actually it wouldn't have been that easy to kill him and maybe we didn't convey that in the best way if you're having to say that less than 24 hours after that episode premieres you fuck that scene up big time I think that (laughs) there is um,
1: like you said there's an element (laughs) I'm sorry, Scott Gimple, we we do actually really respect you, Um, John, maybe not so much, but um, I I completely agree to an extent. I got to the point about the middle of season six where I stopped worrying about Mm. the reality of what was going on.
2: I'm sick of this. I know. And, you know, this isn't a breakdown, but... We are a mental. We breakdown. are fan critical. Please witness <laughs> now,
1: John McCann losing his marbles. No,
2: but I mean, for fuck's sake, so we're always apologising for shows. Yeah, Game of All. know, but you get well, to wait. a point where it's like, look, it's been six seasons, seven seasons. We'll let them get away with X, Y, and Z.
1: I really like this opener, <clears throat> and the things I really liked about the season premiere and about Mercy were that we. It was confusing there were some things that were a bit ridiculous. Yes, if mm. I'd have been Rick, I'd have just shot Negan when he came out. I, I absolutely would have done. But then, as we said before, what would be the point with the rest of the season? <laughs> but I really yeah. liked the questions raised by the timelines, by a lot of the kind of speeches that were that were brought out um, by kind of the main leaders of the, the three key communities against the Saviors and the Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice way to bring it back for me. Um, on that note, why don't we talk about maybe some of the key parts of the episode kind of in a timeline part one as i might call it uh we get some time flashes across three different distinct timelines with rick we get the three leaders of the community starting off their speeches which is where we left off even season seven and um then we look at we see the hilltops starting to fortify their vehicles and, and Dwight and Daryl's relationship. Um, guys, what were your thoughts about maybe let's pick up on that last bit Dwight and Daryl and that uh, kind of crossbow friends experience that we saw there?
0: So, I like the fact that um, Dwight and Daryl have something going on here, and I'm also happy with the fact that after the shenanigans that happened at the end of the last season that Dwight is still on Rick's side now yeah, and he's still an undercover agent. I mean, I'm not like being a spoiler. I'm not, you know, I read the comics and, and Dwight is a big character in the comics. Um, I don't think necessarily he's been portrayed amazingly in the show. They've given him, if anything, I think just too much screen time, but that's because they stretch things out. But I think that his relationship with Daryl is very important because Daryl doesn't exist in the comics. Daryl doesn't exist in the comics but Darryl and him are very similar characters. You know, they, they, they. apart from the aesthetics of like what they wear, you know, like they are very similar characters and Daryl was under his sort of stewardship while Daryl was trying to be indoctrinated into the saviors by yeah. Negan. And that's really important to show that they've both come out of that experience and taught each other something. Um And that Dwight is now hopefully fully behind Rick. And we assume at this point he is, I mean, he, He did um, pass on information and Daryl gave him information. And I'm just hoping that uh, Dwight can be an important member in this all-out war to hopefully success for Rick and uh, Alexandrians and the Hilltop and the Kingdom.
1: I think um, that first opening part of of Dwight and Daryl Dwarrel, shall we call them? Dwarrel. Where the Arrow first hits the motorbike, you think he's just being pissy and then actually you realise that there's a message behind him. It's not mm. until a few scenes later that you realise what that message is <clears throat> and what the impact of that, that message is. Yeah, um, I really liked Dwight and I met Austin Emilio uh, this year at Walker Stalker Con, and he was really <laughs> interesting because I think he was worried that people wouldn't like him as an actor because of the character he played. Mm. Um, but he's really, really keen on the whole world of... Walking Dead. Um, And actually, I think he plays it fantastically. I think he's played that whole character arc really interestingly. Uh, John, what did you think about the switches between different timelines in this kind of first part of Mercy?
2: Yeah, so I guess it's got me intrigued. Uh, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to second, third, fourth guess where they're trying to go with it and potentially (laughs) how it's all going to
0: You mean as if you think it's a flash forward or a potential that he's thinking about? Like, so, for example... Yeah,
2: so I guess, like, uh, the only comparison that you can make of uh, that cloudy...
0: There's a cloudy grade on it. They've put this sort of dreamy grade upon it. Exactly. Uh, and, And that makes it, you know, makes us seem that he's dreaming about his potential future. Yeah, There was a scene last season with Glenn, was it Glenn or the season before? No,
2: no, no, it was last uh, season. Where you saw Glenn and Abraham.
0: You saw them, all the characters together, like living a happy future and it was in this dreamy sort of haze. Yeah. Um, Obviously that didn't come to fruition because Glenn and Abraham got their brains beaten out of them by Negan. So (laughs) uh, RIP once again. Um, So I know what you're saying with that in terms of the fact that if we'd go by their sort of film or TV logic, this is a sort of dream sequence. Yeah.
1: I actually think it's a bit of a cheat. It's a bit of a cop-out. Um, I'd rather we didn't have that because I don't think it actually impacts anything massively to the storyline.
2: They're just trying to be different, though, I guess.
1: And, and, I, and I get that, but it, actually what we've just said proves that they're not being different. And don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a die-hard Walking Dead fan. Mm. I will slate it, but I will never stop until they kill Daryl in which case I might or Negan because actually I think he might be my favourite now Um, but I do think that as much as the timelines are really interesting in terms of what they add to the story that future dreamscape wishscape, or or whatever you might call it or reality as it may well be is kind of cheating because no one you don't really want to know it all ends up okay because the only thing that really keeps walking dead going is the tension of wondering who the hell is going to die next
0: well they've done quite a good job in the respect that if you were to believe this is a flash forward the only characters you saw were rick uh judith carl and michonne, michonne. now the thing
2: is and that big I ha- owl thing
0: and the big owl i have God no he makes it <laughs> I have no problem with flash-forwards. I think that um, sometimes they can be used extremely effectively. My, one of my favourite shows of all time, The Leftovers, used them extremely effectively. Lost used them at times, to a very good point. And it's all about how you tell the story. If the story warrants the flash-forward. Now, we've had a very depressing time with The Walking Dead over the last couple of years. It feels, it feels at times like it's attritional because... Yeah. There's not much levity. There's not much comedy. And, you know, it, it, it hits you in your heart and your soul when you lose a character all the time. The idea that there is this hopeful vision, I think, could be quite powerful if it were to come to fruition. Mm. Um, So I think that's a nice change of pace for them. They've gone for something less like, you know, at the start of season seven, we'd lost two of our favorite characters. Rick's been begging to not kill Carl. You know, snotty, sweaty Rick is there. You know, Andrew <laughs> Lincoln does it very well. But like, you know, we're just sitting snotty. there. We're beaten as a as a audience member. We're beaten down. And I think this at least we've got some sort of vision of hope for the future.
2: There are two prominent flash forwards. One that's uh, the grainy, dreamy thing. So yeah. Like, well, that could come to pass, or it might not.
1: And the other, I like to call bloodshot Rick.
2: Yeah. Where he looks like he's the distraught. Again, and it's all gone badly wrong, but it's not grainy. That is that's going to come to pass, that will happen.
1: So, I think if you take the the grainy, dreamy flash forward as a standalone part in time, it's not quite as powerful. I see what you're saying, then that you know the viewers need a bit of hope. Um, we don't all watch it just to see people die by zombie mouth. Um, but in conjunction or, or I suppose, juxtaposition with that middle flash forward of Bloodshot Rick, you know, Mm. he's obviously distraught, he's traumatised, he's in the middle of nowhere under that piece of stained glass. And there are a lot of ideas about what that might be. We'll talk about it later. But I think juxtaposing that with the kind of dreamscape of the real far in the future, which we'd assume I would say is about four years, maybe five five years years forward. Aged badly.
2: He's aged badly. Well, he has aged
1: badly. But it makes it more powerful because you then realise that we're not going to get there immediately. It's not just going to be... And I think in this first part of the episode, there's a possibility you think that well, that's three weeks down the line. He's just really badly aged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, seeing the bit in the middle makes you see that there's going to be some more turmoil. We're not just mm. going to stop, and it's not going to be happy. You know, roses and owl owl statues.
0: Giant <laughs> owls. I mean, If, giant if, owls. if my Why? future was filled with giant owls, I'd be a happy man. So I, think I don't
2: think I would. The owls to end up saving them. I think. I mean, I've read the, the
0: owls are coming. <laughs>
1: On that note, um, so the other part of, of this kind of first part of the episode in Mercy is um is that the kind of leaders of the the three main communities giving out their their powerful speeches, um oh. motivating the
2: troops, yeah.
1: Covering well, quite a lot of stuff. So we talk a lot about it being ours by right and you know it's only one yeah. person that has to die. Um John, what do you think about Rick's insistence about it only being Negan that has to die and it's him
2: that's gonna do it? Well, at the beginning of the episode, he said that, didn't he? And then he ended up killing about five people. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up killing like five lookouts. It's, it's essentially... only Negan that has
0: to die. <laughs> uh, uh, Apart and, from but, lookout one, two, all, three, aren't four and
2: five. Um, and then just, you know, ends up being a part of a group that fires wildly into a building where they could be hitting multiple people. There's this constant theme of uh, it's just one person. It's just him. It's just Negan. And then at the end of the episode, there's all this talk about it being not being just about Rick. So you've clearly got that juxtaposition between uh, the two characters, the two kind of leaders of each faction. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool. Didn't even think about it until now. Brain just does stuff and things. When you're yeah. talking about it, it just does yeah. things. Yeah, just, oh, that's In what it. they were doing. What about... Um, Five stars. And
1: then we talked a bit about this earlier, about Ezekiel's uh, quoting from Henry V's St. Crispin's Day speech. For he, today who sheds his blood with me, shall be my brother... Or my sister, in the case of Maggie. Um, we talked about that being part of Ezekiel's background, but how else do you think it might impact the storyline or relate to where we are?
0: Well, I love Ezekiel as a character um, because, similar to the comics, when you read this and, you know, like like we saw last season where they turn up and they see Ezekiel and this tiger and, you know, the kingdom. She, shout out to Shiva. Um And you see all these fantastical sort of characters surviving the zombie apocalypse. You're like, what is this? Seriously, (laughs) what is this? But like, he grows on you. And I love the fact that like, we got the sort of backstory of him being like a theatre guy last season. And that's why he speaks like this. And that's the only way that he knows how to lead. And I love the way that he just carries it on and everyone just sort of goes with it.
2: Yeah.
1: There are moments in this episode where Corey Payton's acting of Ezekiel is beyond... The ridiculous but the sublime. And I I I really love it. Because actually, talking about lining up with a bit of hope, it lines up with some fantastic stage acting in the most bizarre setting. I really enjoy it.
0: Fake it till you make it. Yeah, fake it till you make it. And if you've got a pet tiger, I mean, you could pretty much get away with anything. Do what you like,
1: to (laughs) be honest. Do what you like.
2: Just Um, design
0: a
1: costume. We see a lot of other characters in that first part of the episode, but then actually there's a second part of Mercy that I think is really important, which is where we see Carl turn up... um, when did he learn to drive so well? Uh, at the intersection, and he's walking around the abandoned cars looking for fuel. And, and there's a stranger that turns up, and there's a there's a lot of comparisons to Rick in season one in the first couple of episodes, um, which I thought were really interesting, especially given stuff that happens later in in Mercy. Um, Len, what do you think about the kind of cultivating of Carla's new Rick?
0: Well. Robert Kirkman has, has always said that the story of The Walking Dead is not about Rick, it is about Carl. You know, he was a very young boy when we saw him in issue one and the first episode, oh, not yeah, he was in the first episode of, the, mm-hmm. of of the whole series. And this show not only is about Rick, but it's about Carl, a boy who has grown up in this zombie apocalypse it's never been told before, like a story about someone who, who has literally grown up potentially over a decade. We don't know how much time has passed and we don't know how much time will pass for Carl.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, we, but, but it's very interesting to see a kid grow up in this sort of time. And I think that scene just illustrates how Carl is adopting everything that he's learned from so many different people that her, not only his father, um, but other people like Shane as well, other people that have been father figures to him. And he has come out, you know, the most hopeful character out of a lot of them. Like he, you know, like more like a Glenn sort of character. <clears throat> like he wants to help people. He sees a vision of the future where, he, you know, we're not just turning away people all the time. And he, he's trying to help wherever he can. And mm. he even has a go at his dad in this instance because of it. Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, and I think that Carl is the vision of this show and, you know, more for the future.
1: I think um, it's interesting that you talk about father figures because I, as much as I think that Carl takes a lot of his inspiration for his personality from, we'll call him young Rick. Um yeah. You know, Rick in seasons one and season two, which was a very different personality. Actually, yeah. a lot of his attributes now, apart from teen anger and puberty, um, are influences from Maggie and Michonne, I think. Michonne,
0: Michonne's been a big influence, yeah.
1: Huge influence. And as you know, there's a, a hugely important conversation between them later in the later in this episode. Mm. Um John, there's a bit at the end of this particular scene that kind of flicks back and forth between some other stuff, but Carl says it's you know it's not gonna be enough, Dad. And Rick says, Well what? And he says, Hope. We talked a little bit about hope before. Do you think that Carl's hope is enough to make him a strong leader in the future?
2: It does make him weak. But morally, he's correct. In that, you know, they they should be aspiring to to help one another, and it shouldn't just be kill anyone on sight. Interestingly enough, in that scene, there are like uh, shot by shot. There's like quite a lot of kind of uh, direct parallels, or well, homages to season um, to, one. Yeah, yeah, to, well, to episode one. Yeah. Episode
1: one is that. Yeah. It I, is yeah, the I first episode. Yeah, yeah. So in the first H-hat episode, on the floor
2: and looking at, under the car yeah. and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Well,
1: it is a direct parallel to Rick in season one, episode one, um, which is why I think that scene is so interesting even though it's interspersed with other parts of action you know we've not talked about um, Tara and Carol but we'll come on to that later and mm. um, following on for that we then start to work on Dwight's list and talking about uh, Rick's particular moral compass and how he says you know obviously there's only one person that needs to die or well, we watched a series of essentially assassinations happen yeah um, thanks to Dwight's input um, some of them pretty brutal to be honest which was what I like about The Walking Dead yeah Um, we then we go on to some other stuff but you know that particular kind of lead up Len what do you think about the whole assassination of the list well
0: as I said earlier I'm happy that Dwight is still an inside man for Rick and for Daryl and for Alexandria and the other communities I think that I quite liked the scenes of, of taking out all of the lookout posts. I thought it was quite good, especially the one where he's on like a, a, a like a high treetop and there's a zombie down below and he shoots him <laughs> and he goes down and the zombie just starts feasting on <laughs> him. I thought that was quite that was quite cool. Ooh, yummy. Um the mm. one where Rick uh takes out the last lookout and then he's sort of he stabbed him but he's still alive sort of and he's goading Rick saying, like, Oh, do you wanna be on your knees again, Rick? Do you remember that? Do you remember how you almost killed your boy? All that sort of stuff. And then Rick just like chops the zombie that's on a chain loose to kill, to eat him. Shows that Rick, for me, is still treading a careful line on a moral ground. You know, like if he's goaded by something as simple as that and obviously his hatred for Negan is driving him through, we know that Rick is in the right place sort of morally in this, in this environment, in this post-apocalyptic world because he's gone through a lot and he's learned the ups and the downs. But there is still that part of him that is, you still question it a little bit, you know? Hmm.
1: I think it's the combination between um, strong moral compass and survivalist. There is only a certain amount of morality that you can have after the zombie apocalypse because you have to survive. Yeah. And that will eventually mean killing other humans, yeah. especially when we're battling <laughs> against other communities. Which
0: goes back to one of their the staples of the show, Um which was them having the three questions that they asked people like, oh, you know, how many, you know, how many walkers have you killed? How many people have you killed? They wouldn't trust people necessarily if they said they'd killed no people. Because mm-hmm. when you get to this point, three, four, five years into the zombie apocalypse, you have to do things that you don't want to do because there's a lot of bad people out there yeah. that want to take what's yours. That's the only way they can survive. So so that's a very important thing to realise that the compass has shifted. The compass is off the scale I at the moment.
1: the moral compass of somebody four years after the zombie apocalypse and the moral compass of somebody watching a TV show about the zombie apocalypse are wildly <laughs> different. You know, if I were to meet Slightly. people and ask them how many people they killed, I'd hope they say none. Um, but if I was in the world of The Walking Dead, I would absolutely need to know that they are brave enough and survivalist enough to have Taking on a human. Mm. Um, And there's an interesting point where Daryl picks up the gun of one of the lookouts and there's a tally on it. Yep. I didn't count it. It seemed too much hard work. Um, (laughs) I assume it's people.
0: (laughs) I didn't count it. Yeah, I assume it's people. We we know that the saviours take pride in their uh, kills. Mm. Uh, especially even uh, a lot of them used to take photos of Negan's bashed-in-brains victims, which was quite disturbing when they raided their satellite outpost, I think, like two seasons ago. Weird.
1: End of season six, I think it was. Yeah,
0: very weird. So we know that they like to take pride in their amount of kills. Um, There's an interesting parallel to someone like Carol who noted down how many people she'd killed and it forced her into this sort of rejection of violence, but now she's obviously doing what she believes is right. And it also... Nicely ties into uh, Rick's speech where he said, we don't take pride in defeating these people. But don't uh, have shame. But we don't have shame, which is very important because it's like, yeah, we've got to kill these people. We don't want to do it. We you know, we don't, literally don't want to do it. I think but, John does. Well I mean John John would kill anyone. He's yeah, moral compasses off the charts um, again. Well Scott Len- Gimple.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Len, how do the saviours in the show compare to the saviours up until a relevant point in the comics?
0: Uh, saviours are pretty similar. Um In terms, I mean, Negan obviously is Negan. We do see other saviors, obviously, like Dwight and uh, these other characters in his complex, especially in the issue where, and the episode, where Carl tries to assassinate Negan on his own and go to the saviors' complex. He, very similar sort of episode, he gets taken around, Negan takes him under his wing and tries to impart some wisdom upon Carl. Yeah. Um, The saviors, you know, we get the impression that they're... uh, and and the same in the show that they're living under fear of, of Negan. Negan has created this fear complex, and as you know, ruling by fear is very fickle. It can go one way or the other. Um, so, in terms of that, the saviors are sort of pretty similar.
1: What about um, Dwight's character arc? Do you see the same thing in the comics? Um, is it quite as distinct? I would perhaps I compare don't... it to Jamie Lannister. Shout out to
2: Lucy, who's <laughs> not here on this podcast. Not as good
0: looking. I don't <coughs> want. Um, I don't, wa- don't want to compare. The arcs yet because they haven't come to fruition. So when I'm not going to spoil anything that happens potentially in the future, not to say that um, the show does change things from the books quite drastically sometimes. So mm. whatever happens in the comics won't always come to pass in the show. Um, but Dwight is an interesting character, and you know, I like these, like in Game of Thrones, like you've mentioned Jamie Lannister, I like these characters who have um a sort of a grey perspective like they're not good they're not evil they're um, just colourblind. they're just colorblind they just um they, they've got capacity for both both things and i think that's really interesting
1: i also think that in something like a tv series or a book um to have the capacity for good and evil is just to be human because we're all like that but anyway <laughs> moving on uh <laughs> the, the the last part of this particular kind of section of, of the episode is quite a contrast to the first part that I've grouped in together, you get um, all of the goodbyes at Alexandria and that um, real conversation between um, Michonne and Carl. Um, mm. John, what were your thoughts on that conversation of, you know, I'm here by your side, it's your show? Kind it's your of thing?
2: show, yeah. That was interesting, wasn't it? That's quite a big moment. You know, that's almost like they're trying to say that, you know, he's the end game. Uh, I mean, The Walking Dead is, is the Rick show. Um, I think there's at, been at hints a long, a long yeah, way. I know, but like about Carl. Yeah, but look, even I mean, I I don't read the comic books because I, I I like the idea of watching a show where I've literally no idea what's going to happen versus you know like something like Game of Thrones. But uh, from what I hear, uh, you know, when you, whenever you even like I think it even goes back to like Frank Darabont um, where they talk about The Walking Dead is is Rick's show and and I guess. You know if he ever dies then that's kind of the end of the show but yeah you know, and that's not spoiling anything uh, because i haven't read the, the comic books um
1: it is a pretty impactful moment of the show though because actually michonne is one of those people who and we've seen this a lot thinks further ahead towards civilization um communities and she's she's really big on that and yeah. you know she could be out there in the fighting like she said she would be um
2: But I mean where the
1: hell wasn't she? I mean she's a bad so I wanna She got beaten the shit out of by the rubbish people.
0: Yeah, so I want to comment on this. There's a I don't have I don't have too many issues with the episode. And one of the things that I do have an issue with is the continuity at times in the show annoys me and I I do let it go most of the time. But Michonne's saying that she got beaten the shit out of so she can't go and fight. But Rick got shot in the side. (laughs) By you know Jadus in think... post-apocalyptic world with tetanus, everything else going on, they've got no doctor.
1: How the hell quick. is he
0: going and like you know leading an assault?
1: After what John said about Rick and you know being the Rick show, do you think TV audiences would accept Carl as a leader, as the as the main character in the and the leader of The Walking Dead?
0: <laughs> well no, I'd stop watching. I think Andrew Lincoln is by far the best actor on this show. Mm. I think he is phenomenal. I really? think. I think that consistently throughout the, Mm. now we're in the eighth season, what he does physically and the way he delivers his lines and the way he portrays Rick Grimes, even from the comics, is amazing. Yeah. Um, He's consistently the best performer, but you cannot, in today's world, it is extremely hard to keep hold of actors for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. This is the golden age of television and the sort of unwritten rule of the golden age of television is that shows don't really go past five or six seasons.
2: Mm.
0: Walking Dead is now on its eighth season and I can tell you now there's a lot of comic material that they still can get through. So what I I mean is they can't keep him contractually at some point. some point, everyone's got to go because... Daryl's got to go. They're all going to go. Because yeah. they, they've got big, they've alone. got bigger dreams. And this is nothing against The Walking Dead. They're getting film offers for like three or four million dollars. They're not going to stay and do another season of The Walking Dead. It's just not going to
1: happen. I mean, what? Is Andrew Lincoln going to go off and do Love Actually the sh- 3?
0: The show is going to have to survive <laughs> without these characters at some point. Whether they get rebooted, I don't know. But the, the show is going to have to survive without these characters. And Carl is, as I said earlier, Robert Kirkman's vision for The Walking Dead.
1: I um, would like to see Carl be the new Rick. Um, I think, I, I do agree, Andrew Lincoln is a fantastic actor. He plays that character immensely well. Mm. Um, but there is a certain point where I don't want him to lead things anymore. Why? Speaking of which, nice segue into uh, the next part of this particular episode. Um, it's quite a small part of the episode all in all, but I think it's quite powerful. You, um, you you see all the particular leaders again together, but off stage, kind of off the back of that truck, not giving their speeches and talking almost one-on-one. And Maggie talks about, you know, being part of the fight. She's, you know, she's been fighting since the farm. She's not ready to stop now or she Mm -hmm. can't stop now. That's her life. Um, and, and the relationship with Maggie and Jesus is really interesting. We see a lot more of that later. Um, But there was a really key conversation between Maggie and Rick where Maggie says, you showed me how to be someone worth following. And Rick turns around in that conversation and says, well, after this, I'm following you. Mm. Um, So a change of leadership. We've kind of just seen that scene with Carl and Michonne where it intimates (laughs) that he might be the new Rick. What about Maggie being the
2: new Rick? Season nine, Maggie versus Carl. All out war. <laughs> All out war too. <laughs> I mean, by that point,
1: she'll be about six days pregnant because she still looks like me when I haven't eaten for seven weeks. Mm. Yes, um, that is yeah, impressive. Yeah, but in reality, we're about nineteen days past. Yeah, where she announced she was pregnant. But yeah. I mean, in, in seriousness, what do, what do we feel about Maggie's leadership and, and where she's come at this point?
2: Yeah, I mean, she's uh, she's a great character. I think she's come a long way. I think uh, when she first appeared thought yeah bit of eye candy didn't think she'd still be alive at this point to be honest but um, yeah no she's come along she's come along uh, yeah I mean she's more likely to be like the future than <clears> someone <throat> like Carl but again I only say that because uh, Carl's just obvious what uh, the son of the guy come on to <laughs> an extent ridiculous. Yes.
1: but actually so from what I know but then you can give me well I a... no, for
2: God's sake it has got no death perception
1: well you know whatever he can still shoot and drive. Better than he could with two eyes to honest, <laughs> That he still shocks yeah, me. No. When did he learn to drive? Uh, but Lennon, in, in the comics, um, Maggie's role, I think, very at similar. this point, very similar, but stronger. Am I right?
0: Uh, Maggie, at this point, is the de facto leader of the hilltop. Mm. Um, Gregory has bolted, as uh, similar as yes, we'll see later. Um, and oh, it's job. exactly the same sort of relationship between her and Jesus who is the other sort of de facto leader of the hilltop it's basically them two. Um so yeah I mean Maggie has always been a great character she's had some great tutors in her life she had Herschel she's had Rick she's had Glenn who was oh. definitely the moral compass of the show before mm. he got his brains beaten in again R.I.P. Jesus um,
2: stop bringing it up sorry it but i hanging out but yeah it yeah, was gross so good
0: but like um, she's, she's had a great <laughs> People teaching her how to lead, and I think uh, Rick sees in her. Rick. Rick is a wartime leader. He, you know, he <laughs> he doesn't want to be doing this. He doesn't want to be the leader. I he, think he's he's got rid of that responsibility like once or if not twice during the whole run of this show. He just wants eventually someone younger someone uh, who has had maybe got a bit more of a moral compass than him to mm. be the leader and at this time he maybe sees maggie as the next potential leader in peacetime situations i mm. think
1: there's a difference between leading in war and leading the building of community and leading in peace and i think maggie can do community and peace she comes from that family she comes from that environment yeah. um whereas rick Farmer. really only knows how to fight not only has he been a leader during war prior to that he was a police officer um you know his whole persona is built around fighting against good versus bad yeah, yeah. um it, after that point and it's a really interesting conversation but it's a very small part of the episode we then all the action really starts to kick off so we start to see um the drawing out the saviors the the walkers being time to you know turn up at this particular moment ten twenty-eight, is it or is it 7 other time is
0: a big theme during this episode be it in every timeline they flash forward um you can see they have a shot of the clock i can't remember what the time is it's like 820. 8 20 8 20 something or whatever yeah and mm. then they have the you know the watch you know they're very sort of on time so that's obviously a big theme going through this episode
1: so we see um our, our crack team uh not on drugs I was going to clarify that they are definitely on crack cocaine. Uh, Daryl, Carol, Morgan, and Tara um, setting up this stream of walkers, which is very reminiscent of when they were drawing the walkers away from Alexandria. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to arrive at at the compound of the Recon Center, I can't work out which one it is uh, to see Negan, his lieutenants, um, after the point where. Rick and everybody else turn up. And this yeah. is where we get that ultimatum that Rick gives Negan's lieutenants of, you know, surrender now, become a part of us, and only one person has to die. Another recurring theme. It's only Negan. Yeah. Um, and then everything kind of lets loose. I mean, overall, it's, it's a pretty powerful set of scenes. There's a lot of action that happens. John, how did you feel about that particular
2: attack? You're making me talk about this scene again. I mean, I, I, yeah, come I started on. off with it. Come on, I really like um, it. But again, like... <clears throat> only one person has to die and yet whilst this is all going on they've already decided they're going to herd thousands of zombies into their compound so
0: it's war at the end of the day you do things you don't want to do you say things you don't really mean i think um yeah i think that rick is trying to galvanize they're all trying to galvanize the troops but they know deep down this war is going to inflict casualties on both sides yeah regardless of the case it's propaganda and and in the zombie apocalypse you can't post newspapers and you can't like <laughs> and you can't like post on youtube or do a podcast what you have to do is just to give a very empowered speech about how we're all in this together and when it's done we're gonna own this world it's ours by right and all that sort of stuff you, yeah you know and rick knows he's gonna lose te- dozens of people maybe mm. 50 maybe 60 people and like the other saviors they're gonna probably have to kill hundreds if they're gonna beat him with their numbers um, I think, so... that,
2: like I, again, I wouldn't have a massive issue with that scene if they had just rolled Eugene out, and Eugene would have been like the spokesman for. Yeah.
1: So for a start, I've met Josh McDermott, and he's fucking hilarious. Yeah, he is a funny guy. Literally, th- I've got fifty selfies on my phone with this guy. We had like a <laughs> fifteen minute absolute laugh. Um, but what I really like about his character development now, sort of towards the end of season seven and in season eight, is that he's made his choice not to die and to stick with the strongest force. And I swear to God, if he turns back on it, he needs to be shot in the head. Because actually at this point, I really want him to stick with that choice. I I really do. And I think, you know, he's he's done what he needed to do for his own survival as far as he was concerned. And I don't think he's wrong.
0: I mean, it hurts me from a comic perspective to see Eugene in his current state. I just think that he's obviously going to have her- an heroic moment, just to counter what you're saying, Emma. I, th- I think he I th- is. I think I think <laughs> it's set up for him to have an heroic heroic moment to go back to Rick's side. Whether that means he dies eventually or doesn't die, I don't know. But I just i I can I just don't see the point in him doing what he's done. I know it's in character with his cowardly behaviour.
1: I at the moment don't really see the point in Eugene, <clears> to be honest. I'm bored of him I... and he's made his choice. He's living and I don't want him to change his mind. Stick with something for a change. Have some conviction in your choice. If
0: I was a betting man, the reason for Eugene at the moment is he's going to have a major role to play towards the end of All Out War.
2: Hmm.
1: Interesting. Um, do we want to segue into talking about Gregory at any point here? Because I think it does lead nicely uh, into a discussion <laughs> about leadership again. And uh... also, Gregory is a twat.
0: He's a worm. He's a worm. He's,
2: he's playing My, it perfectly though. I, I mean... mean who, who is the actor?
1: I actually can't remember his name, but oh. I feel really awful and I will have to... Um, he's
0: he's playing a very... He's doing a good job acting it, yeah, for sure. He, he
1: acts it fantastically, awfully. Um, and I, I actually felt really shitty at Walker Stalker this year because um, he had a stand, uh, obviously like everybody else does, that isn't a priority actor. Um and literally was just sat there on his own. Nobody wanted to go and talk to him because they all thought he was such an arsehole. And I thought it was a real shame because actually <laughs> his him. his character's an arsehole, but he plays it superbly. And as an actor, he probably deserves someone to go and at least congratulate him on playing an arsehole so well. I can't wait until we're
2: doing shows of this <laughs> podcast and no one will talk to me.
1: <laughs> I'll talk to you. Um, but, but then there's a really great moment there where... You know, the whole of the hilltop um, fighters in that group just stand there and kind of go, now nah, mate, I'm finally not in charge anymore. And then Jesus shouts out, well, the hilltop stands with Maggie. And all of a sudden, it kicks off.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that just reinforces her...
2: Maggie must be ahead of a leader if she's got fucking Jesus that's following her. Yeah, I mean, that's like, just, you know. Jesus, I mean, like, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, um, Jesus, Is there some sort of symbolism there? I don't know. Is it Maggie God now? But, um, yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? It's is pretty cool.
1: And then all of a sudden we get that 10, oh. 9, 8, 7, and hell let's loose. And I have to admit, I wasn't <laughs> expecting Rick not to count down to one. Yeah, at that well, point. he didn't
0: say how far he was going to count down, did he? He said, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start counting. Count- count- do you really want me to count? Well, I could do it. <laughs> One. <laughs> like, it was just hilarious.
1: <laughs> um And then it, shit really kind of hits the fan at that point. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shooting. But I thought the tactics and the planning from that was, was full on fantastic. So
0: what I want to say is the thing that I like most about any zombie apocalypse show or book or story is what I really want to see is how like the ingenuity of the people in such a time
2: mm.
0: like I don't think this show is utilised at times enough of like the cool shit they can do to like fight zombies or like set traps or all this sort of stuff and I really liked this episode that they had fortified their cars with all of the metal um, corrugated,
2: so that, iron. corrugated
0: iron so that so that they couldn't be shot I was like right That's genius. I want more of that in the show, please. And the the whole plan, to be honest with you, was great. I just loved it. I loved the fact that they had used their environment to their advantage and they had used the zombies to their advantage.
1: And their tactical forethought was beyond anything I think they've done ever, I think, throughout The Walking Dead.
0: Yeah, well, the last time they tried to be tactical, they did bring a herd upon Alexandria and got half their population killed so this (laughs) is a marked improvement
1: kind of fucked
2: that one up (laughs)
1: um no i really i i thought it was spectacular and i thought i've been worried for a while about how the three communities would link together and accept kind of a, a trio of leadership um you know as rick said it's not about him uh it's not about him it is about rick isn't it mm. um but you know how they'd be able to work together and i think that that this particular kind of explosive set of scenes really shows that they are all so closely knit and closely aligned that they can if they have actually i don't know used a sniper rifle could have taken them out
2: you only need one shot yeah mm-hmm. and suddenly he's just standing out in the open in front of 50 people come on
1: but actually there is this is one of the things that really pissed me off about this episode as much as I loved it, is there is a point where Negan is on the floor, right? He's just crawling around looking how at How did her. he get there? How did he get there for a start? <laughs> but secondly, how did Rick not kill him? I mean, you have in the stormtrooper. I a could storm have taken trooper. that shot. A trooper, I could trooper. have taken that shot. And that really hacked me off because that was the point where I re- I mean earlier, yes, you could have taken him out, but there was a point to that. Yeah. What the hell was the point of that scene? I mean,
0: to be fair, as I said, I love the episode. I'm not going to put down certain aspects of it. Well, but the thing the thing that annoyed me is, like John said, Negan comes out and confronts Rick, who has got 70 people probably trained with guns behind shields. Uh, and he's just, you know, doing his usual, well, what sort of a shit show is going on here? All that sort yeah, of stuff.
2: That's the first and, impression of the season. Sorry, Fucking yeah. Woody from Toy Story? Yeah, that's
0: what he sounds like. But... The thing is that... There's um,
2: a snake in my boot. Rick. There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> it works so
0: well. But the thing is that, that, that he brings all his lieutenants out and they have this fight. And then they run back in... As soon as the guns start firing, they just run inside. Right? Okay. Fine. Running. Next thing I see is they're inside a giant factory. They, they obviously barge through a giant camper van full of explosives and blow the gate up. Which,
1: which was cool. Which I mean, was, let's which, give it that. It was very, very cool. cool.
0: I'm not, I, I love that. I love the it's fact that it drew the zombies reinforced in. Reinforced RV. Mm. Yeah, I love that. With a but, bomb. But what, how did Negan go from being inside safe to suddenly outside behind a little piece of iron? It didn't blow up the whole factory. It just blew up the gate.
1: And these mm. are the things that really... I, I love The Walking Dead and I... The ritual of, of having it in my life and now discussing it on air. Brilliant. Uh, I will never let go of. But the continuity factors and something like that is is a real, real example of those. What like, I mean, I don't understand how that happened. And then I don't understand why you didn't just kill him at that point.
0: Well, they just. I, that's the, what I did not get. Sometimes the writers, it's just lazy. They just go right. Well, the whole theme is it's not about Rick and it's not about Negan. Rick's got the chance to kill. Negan and then Gabriel grabs him and goes, "It's not about you, Rick." And they're sitting there going, "Oh, that's a great idea in the writers' Star room." My segue there, then. They're going, "That's a great idea <laughs> in the writers' room." And get then,
1: off and,
2: me, Gabriel, you idiot! Yeah, you shit then, idiot. Definitely and start. And then segue. they go,
0: and then they go, "But how do we get Negan there?" He just went inside. Oh, don't worry about it. The bomb caused him to run outside and go, "Oh, what was that?" You know. Well, I think without hmm.
1: without jumping towards the end of the episode, actually, that scene where where Gabriel comes back and Rick is. Taking a Polaroid for a start quite an interesting moment given that, what we talked about earlier yeah I hope that comes back to something um, John how do you feel about Gabriel's role in this
2: episode <laughs> no fuck <laughs> no like for fuck sakes what's he doing right like, and this well, I think this, it's pretty
1: clear what he's doing to be honest I think Gabriel is is maintaining his moral ground and his you beliefs Oh, he got
2: seriously mugged off Uh, and part of me but that's not his fault no it's entirely his fault he's he's Um, absolutely in charge of his
0: as much as I dislike the Gabriel character (laughs) um, when we first met him we know that he was a weak pathetic character who let his parishioners die outside of his church because he did nothing now although he's taken a turn to be like a sharpshooter for the team apparently and he's like occasionally like now Rick's buddy and you know, he's like helping him out and stuff. Buddy. 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 Um, I understand why he wanted to help Gregory because at the end of the day, he is a priest. He let his parishioners die. He doesn't want to let people die le- needlessly again. And maybe he's, you know, he just thinks that Gregory is a weak character like he was mm. and he's going to try and help him. However, stay in the car. Just stay in the car. Beep your horn. Come over here, mate. Get in the car. Don't
2: get out. I'll we'll take the fucking keys. Like, I mean, ultimately, it okay. takes a special kind of person to make two decisions. There's two different scenarios. Mm. Uh, he makes two different decisions and fucks both of them <laughs> up. So, I
1: mean. But well, I think he's trying. I think you've got to give him his credit that, yeah. you know, Leonard's right. He's he's trying to make up for the fact that he balls up and killed his whole. Mm. Uh, Community of worshippers, I'll call them what they call congregation. Parish, parish, yeah. yeah. He fucked up and he killed his parish or he let his parish die. And I think he's trying to make up for that. And I, as much as it irritated me, it just enabled me to hate Gregory more um, and uh, be a little bit more frustrated at Gabriel than I normally would be. The last two kind of key parts of this episode for me are um, Gabriel's final moments of the episode Mercy uh, when he comes face to face with probably his worst nightmare in a confined space, Len. um, (laughs) We've gone through the whole battle. How does this whole set of scenes compare to what we would see in the comparable
2: comics? um, (laughs) But hold on.
0: (laughs) 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 Did you just say that that Gabriel came face to face with his (laughs) worst nightmare, (laughs) Len? (laughs) He doesn't know it, but yes, I am his worst nightmare. Have
2: you um, listened to our podcast, bro?
1: I <laughs> <laughs> was supposed to be a comma in there. <laughs> you just a it of. Oh, genius.
2: it's genius. I was supposed to a comma in there. in there. Full stop. Um, you like Ron Burgundy, you just read it straight into the
0: teleprompter. <laughs> um, so Gabriel um, coming face-to-face with Negan is very interesting. So there is a parallel in the comic, a character called Holly... Uh, is the one who barges the truck through the gates and lets all of the walkers in. Um, And then she uh, in the comics was infatuated with Abraham. So she's like got a revenge sort of motive uh, behind her, but she actually gets captured by Negan and the same sort of dialogue is said between the two. Um, So it's interesting that they put Gabriel in this position um in the show obviously holly was only in like one episode like two seasons ago or something right yeah um so she's she's not actually around it i think she died um so they've they've kind of uh just put gabriel in their play in her place um in both instances not really major characters um but i'm interested to see what the fandom or if the fandom actually cares that much about Gabriel for him to be in this position now as I said earlier I was disappointed by the fact this is an event episode and I wanted some major event like something to remember this episode by Mm. now if they had put someone like Daryl maybe again in that position or someone that would be Maggie someone that we genuinely really care about in that position I think that it would have been a lot more meaningful and a bit more like a cliffhanger i personally don't care about gabriel and i personally don't care if he lives or dies so for me it's a weak cliffhanger
2: yeah
1: i i don't disagree in what you're saying from a kind of caring about the character perspective but actually if you take gabriel as a representation of a certain type of person the apocalypse it is quite powerful um in for that entire battle scene uh between the three communities and the saviors and the sanctuary len how does that compare to what we see in the comics
0: so basically it's pretty similar the um the only difference is the fortification on the vehicles that rick has um in the show it's much more ingenious and sort of like thought uh thoughtful which is rare that the show
1: does very, that um, and the
0: comic doesn't but very the, Mad Max-esque. Yeah very Mad Max-esque. Um, well, it's, it, an,
2: it's an homage to like George Romero's y- Dawn
0: of the Dead. Yeah 100% 100% and, and in the comic they just use two giant school buses and they sort of both stupidly Negan and um, Rick both do exactly what Negan did and go out in the open against each other yeah. and have these two groups and you're sitting there going well they could just shoot each other? Mm. So in the comics there is that sort of sense of you know disbelief disbelief at what they're doing, mm. but the the tactics about using a herd of walkers is exactly the same, and it it severely damages the Saviors in uh, in the comics. And as we know, the Saviors have uh, much bigger numbers. So this for Rick, you know, is quite a nice thing in the show where Niang's like, "You don't have the numbers." Oh yeah, what about like four thousand zombies? You know, so. Yeah. It's quite nice, and it's very similar. They're both very similar.
1: Final, final part of uh, Walking Dead's hundredth episode, Mercy, um, kind of flits between two parts of time, none of which are where we've just jumped from. Uh, one of them is back to the kind of three community leaders in their speech talking about starting tomorrow, right now, and how they've already won. And the other is is a really powerful um, scene of Rick. Uh, talking about um, my mercy prevails over my wrath uh, which is a quote from the Quran I believe
0: which was quoted earlier in the episode by the guy that Carl meets at the gas station.
1: indeed um, which opens up a lot of questions John what were your your feelings of the kind of juxtaposition of those two like a real powerful leadership speech and a really distraught broken Rick?
2: Well, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Like, In such a short space of time, in the episode, there's that kind of uh, realisation that, yeah, it's not about him. I mean, it it took Gabriel uh, to put him to one side and stop him from shooting Negan uh, and then go and fucking get himself killed. (laughs) um, For for that to... We uh, don't
1: know that Gabriel's
2: dead. Well, hopefully he is. (laughs) <laughs> and and he'll never you know, be because
1: he'll go to heaven and live in the arms of God. And he's
2: so cool in the wire. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean I'm i massively intrigued to uh, the flash forward with the bloodshot Rick. Bloodshot Rick. Um, that, that's the one where you're like, right, what does he fuck up here? And how how many episodes along is that and
1: scene? And I, f- I feel like that particular... in vision of Rick, bloodshot Rick, we will continue to call it. Um it's probably gonna keep recurring, but I think that's gonna be our mid season finale. And that's what's getting me excited.
0: If they haven't ended all out war in this eight episode mid season run, <clears throat> I will be disappointed. They they, yeah. they they stretch things out sometimes too far. And this material, you know, speaking for someone who's read the comics it doesn't stretch out much longer than eight episodes. Let's let's just get it done. But let's do it well in those eight episodes. And I have hope, like, you know, this this eight episode run should fill us with hope. I mean, the first episode was good. I mean, the, the season premiere is good. I think it is a very good episode of The Walking Dead. That's not without its problems. But hey, it's The Walking Dead.
1: Also, but it's a TV show. It's, it's never a TV show.
0: Be You've got to suspend your disbelief. You've got to go for it. But <clears throat> there's a lot of content here that is really good to adapt. And there is a lot to look forward to in this eight-episode run. And like you said about Bloodshot <laughs> Rick, I'm intrigued about where that and Old Man Rick is going. Old I'd Man lo- Rick. Old Man old Rick man and Bloodshot Rick. Rick. And I want to see what for, what comes to fruition. You know, I, I want to know the way they're going to tell this story. And I'm, I'm hopeful... For the next eight episodes, and I'm hopeful for the rest of this season.
1: So, on those lines, rather than a kind of final feeling of the episode, because I think that we've all made that pretty clear, um, I want to know who you guys think is going to die in the first half of season eight, main character wise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off here. I think Morgan's going to die.
0: Morgan's had an interesting arc, uh, which has gone from. Uh, crazy morgan which was my favorite morgan in clear back in season three i think it was
1: morgan to crazy morgan hopeful
0: morgan crazy morgan after he lost his son and now then you had morgan that refused to kill people and And because of that because of that it just basically got loads of other people killed um,
1: well, no, because I think actually uh-uh. I'm going to defend this. Morgan's storyline and his character development is fascinating, but they gave up in season the beginning of season six, and if they have actually bothered to develop him uh, properly, I they wouldn't take le- any more Morgan. Oh, no, I really, no, I really like Morgan. Anyway, I think he's going to die. Well, I think Morgan could
0: die. Him. Morgan is definitely a character that could die. I think Carol doesn't have much more development. She's a fantastic character. What? And what they've no, what they've done with Carol is amazing, and I love her, and she's one of my favourite, favourite characters. She was
1: not on my list.
0: But she has gone from meek Carol to honestly the biggest badass in the group. Yeah. She will literally badass. rescue everyone if they're trapped yeah. somewhere. She, she can't die. She's done everything, and I know what you're thinking that she can't die, but I just think that they can't take her character any further in terms of development and I think that she will die in this eight episode run.
1: Well if George R.R. Martin has started writing for The Walking Dead then probably because he kills everyone we love. Yeah,
2: uh, well, I'll go with Daryl then.
0: And I think that's a good prediction. Yeah John. it's not a bad shot. I think Daryl is also a character that has served his purpose. The only thing that we don't know about Daryl is his asexuality and if he's got a potential romance in the future Darryl somewhere. Daryl
1: Jesus.
0: So that would be interesting to explore but other than that
1: I think that um, Daryl is not a bad shout in that we've been promised that there will be some major character deaths, and given that we're coming much closer back, I think to the comics. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think they're getting rid of a character who doesn't exist, uh, who is a fan favourite and it's fan service. Don't get me wrong. I mean Norman Reedus is my one true love, um, except for Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Interestingly, nobody has predicted that Negan will die in the first half of season eight.
0: Uh... I mean, I wasn't really including him in my thought process, mainly just because of I was only thinking of our group of survivors. But, mm, you know, Rick's hell-bent on killing Negan. Um, and let's see how that works out for him.
1: Overall, I think, despite some, some criticism, which we will always have, being fan-critical, uh, we enjoyed <laughs> the opening premiere episode of Season 8. Um, I think there was a lot of questions raised that will be answered within at least the first half of the season if not the season itself Um, so tune in next week to listen to us talk about episode 2 in the meantime uh, our next episode uh, of Stranger Things covering the first 3 episodes of season 2 will be out mid next week (gasps) Um, stay tuned for the next uh, 4 weeks to listen to our podcast covering Thor Ragnarok in 7 days time Season 8, Episode 2, The Walking Dead. We are Fan Critical. I'm Emma, I've been your host. Good night and goodbye from John. See ya. And then.
0: See ya. Thanks for
2: listening, guys.
1: Good night, everyone.
2: Boo Gimple. Boo Gimple. Don't you
1: boo Gimple! (laughs)